pray, shall we? Father, with our hearts humbled and our heads bowed before you, we want to acknowledge your great love for us. And as we once again turn to this most familiar of stories in our Bibles, would you please refresh and encourage us and challenge us with your word? Father, may in the stillness of the hour, as the scripture speaks to us through the preaching of your word, may you find this even a worthy aspect of our worship, that we would sit still and we would listen to your word. And then that we would go from here and we would walk in obedience, that we would hear the still small voice of your Holy Spirit as you, as you teach us and as, as the word of God works through the spirit of God to conform us to the will of God. We, we need it and we want it. And we ask for your assistance, even as we listen to this message. We thank you for this greatest of stories and how you loved us so much. You sent your only son to be the savior of the world. Use it now as you please among us. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Well, I don't know where you keep Christmas at your house, but at our house... You have to go down the stairs and through a door into a dark dungeon-like room underneath the front porch. It usually starts with a word like this. Um, Could you bring up the fall box? Do you have a fall box at your house? You see, the fall box is a prerequisite to the Christmas box. You do keep Christmas in a box at your house, don't you? You do at ours. Lots and lots and lots of boxes. And so the fall box has to come up so that all the fall things can be put away and then up and down the stairs. How many of you have this Christmas tradition and, and you get the Christmas boxes and you bring them up and... And it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And, and then after a couple of days of that, at least half of it is still in the boxes and you carry them back down. And now it's Christmas. Christmas. Well, this morning I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And I want to challenge our hearts today and our thinking And I want to remind us of something that we already know. Do you find it helpful to be reminded of things you already know? Uh, I need that regularly. That Christmas is not in a box. And Christmas, Christmas doesn't happen for a few days, weeks, and then Christmas doesn't get packed up and put in a box and put back under the front porch. That Christmas is really one of the defining events of our lives and that it should affect the way we think and view the world throughout the year. I know that it's difficult with our traditions and I'm not um, putting them all down. It it is a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Uh, In so many ways. 
And there are many traditions that we have that we do enjoy. The problem with us is that sometimes we think that it's not Christmas until we, until we crank up some of those traditions, like getting Christmas out of a box. Or Christmas is over when we put it back in the box. Today, let's just go to the most familiar part of the Christmas story, Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. We're going to read as our text um, verses 1 through 21. And um, I trust that inside the story today that we can be challenged with the very characters of the Christmas story. How did they respond to their intersection with Jesus? How did they respond when they had been with Jesus? You see, Christmas is is God coming to us in the form of Christ to change our lives. And we see in the Christmas story that everybody who encountered Christ was changed. We want to use them as our models. We want to emulate the very qualities, uh, particularly today, of the shepherds and Mary. We'll be reminded of a couple others in the Christmas story. And I trust that it'll be helpful to you this week as we head into Christmas and we fight to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's read our text. I think that it's been a while since you stood. Why don't we read? To, why don't we stand today for the reading of God's Word? Stretch just a little bit. And as I read, follow along in Luke's Gospel in chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. This is, I know, the most familiar part of the Christmas story. We have yet to cover this in our Christmas messages as we've looked at the, we've looked at the miracle of Christmas, that incredible reality of the virgin birth. We've looked at the mystery of Christmas, what the incarnation of Christ was all about. Today, the models that are in the Christmas story for us to emulate In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration. Some of your Bibles say a tax. It was a census that was being taken so that people would be registered uh, correctly so that they knew where to pay their taxes and from whom the government knew to collect taxes. And this was the first registration, verse 2, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered there with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph, and they found the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Praise God for his word. You may be seated. What a great story. What a remarkable moment it must have been. The news of the taxation had spread. You have to believe, don't you, that Mary must have looked at Joseph and maybe putting her hands out here and saying, do we really have to go now? Yes, we need to make our way to Bethlehem. Not a real long journey, but for someone who was at the threshold of delivery. Imagine walking or riding an animal. I'm sure that Joseph was a gentle, caring man. We certainly pick up that kind of character out of Joseph, don't we? And there they were, and of course, exactly what they feared could happen, happened. And the baby came when they were away from home, and God and his sovereign management and oversight, um, by no mistake, in the crowded community of Bethlehem, where any kind of lodging was taken, there Joseph finds a place that he seeks to make as comfortable as possible. Mary delivers, and Joseph adjusts things and takes the baby and sets him in a manger. Incredible reality how God entered the world. It is um, humbling, isn't it? There is no one, there is no one anywhere who can say that Jesus is too good for them. He was born in a barn. He came for all people everywhere, as the angels announced. Well, today, as we review this story and we look particularly at the characters within the story, uh, we find that the shepherds and Mary in this part of the story provide such a great model for responding to their encounter with Jesus. This initial, this initial contact where Jesus And the shepherds and Jesus and Mary come together. The first lesson that we have is found in the lives of the shepherd. And I want us to review uh, verse 8 is where they enter the story. These shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. You can imagine that uh, things are quiet. Things are dark. There's not electric lights in this era. There's not cool lead light flashlights. There's perhaps the dim glow of a fire. The sheep are gathered in for safety. A certain night watch is set. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I take that to be a bright light. I take this to be very sudden. I take it to be startling. It says, and they were filled with great fear. These are men who knew the country. These are men who were familiar with the region and comfortable with night watch and all of a sudden bam i remember when i was a little boy we used to make our way on a on an old yellow church bus a a 
discarded school bus up from the south suburbs of Chicago where my father pastored a little Bible church and we would join other area regional churches in the Chicago area and we would go there to the Moody Bible Institute campus to the Tory Gray Auditorium and it would be packed out with people for their great Christmas musical on a Sunday afternoon. And I don't know, maybe I was eight years old, but I can remember just as clear as can be jumping in my seat when they... I don't know, with lights and with action, when the angels appeared out of the balcony and, and they flashed the lights and the shepherds jerked. I don't know what it was like, but they were startled and, and these angels come and this is completely unexpected. They hear the message. It is a remarkable thing, isn't it? I mean, I... I think that we can assume that the shepherds were no more familiar to angels startling them in the middle of the night with an important message than it would be for us. And they have ears to hear, these humble men. That's another thought about Jesus not being too good for anyone. Who did he first, the angels first come to the shepherds in this culture and In this Eastern tradition, uh, essentially the common of the common would have been the shepherds. Unbathed, unshaven, rough clothing, coarse kind of men. And they evidently knew something about their Old Testament because look what it says. The angel announced this, first of all, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy and it will be for all people. There it is, reinforced again. That this exclusive gospel is for an unexclusive audience. You know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is exclusive. In Acts 4.12, we're going to go to Acts 4 in just a minute, but in Acts 4.12 it says, For there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. There's no other name. Paul told Timothy that there was just one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but through me. So indeed, it is an exclusive gospel, this reality of us being separated from a holy God by our sin and the fact that he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on the form of a human. That's what our last couple weeks of messages have been about, that he came largely to be the propitiation for the world. That atoning sacrifice that he alone in, in all of his godness Mixed with his humanity, complete man, complete God, he alone qualified to be the one who could go to the cross and bear the burden of our sin in a way that God in his holiness and justice would be completely satisfied. No one else could do it. And he could do all of that in one weekend, essentially at the cross. Authenticating all of that by the great resurrection Praise God for the resurrection. And so we have this, just this most stunning reality that God is coming in the form of a human being and then God in in an even almost more stunning presentation decides to do it late at night, announcing it to shepherds out in a field somewhere. 
And the news is that you will find as a sign, verse 12, this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's pretty strange. It's also very defining. I assume that they no more put babies in barns and mangers then than we do now. I have been accused often as a young boy of being born in a barn, but I wasn't. It was Ingalls Memorial Hospital in Harvey, Illinois, they tell me. I was there, but I don't remember it. And this will be a sign for you, verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen this? What that must have been like. You know, it doesn't say that they sang, but I... I take it that it must have been musical at some level. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It says they were saying this. Some kind of a chorus of voices. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, and I respect them for this. We got to go check this out. Let us go over to Bethlehem and let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They must have at some level been simple men of faith. And they went with haste. They did not waste time. And they found Mary and Joseph. And then the baby was lying in a manger. Now verse 17 leads us to the first point of our outline today. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The first lesson that we have to model is from the shepherds as we model the characters of Christmas. It is that if this, number one, when you've been with Jesus, you want to talk about it. When you've been with Jesus, you want to talk about it. Seeing Jesus in that manger, these shepherds, evidently, based on what the story says, they just went everywhere they went. They just talked about it. There's a bunch of men telling stories. Hey, did you, you got to see, you can't believe it. I was late. I was over here. All of a sudden, the sky, this, that. Then we went down to Bethlehem. There it was. And everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus. You see, seeing Jesus became part of their conversation. They had an incredible encounter with Jesus, and they, they had to talk about it. You kind of know how this goes, right? I, I, um, Jonathan and I like to deer hunt. I use our son and uh, senior in high school. And this year, particularly, we had a successful hunt. And Jonathan had the privilege of really taking a really fine buck this year, bigger than average for us. Really nice. And so I took a bunch of pictures and I'm running around kind of like a, a new granddad showing off my new baby. It's like, hey, everybody that'll listen, you want to see, did you see my, I whip out my phone. Did you see my pictures? Did you see my pictures? And I'm showing my pictures. Why, we had this great event take place and I want to tell you about it. And if you'll sit still long enough, I'll tell you the whole story. It was great. I'm, I, I'm making myself not tell the story right now. <laughs> I think that that's the feeling. I think that's the sense that you have of the urgency. 
the shepherds had experienced something most unusual, most dramatic, and it was so real to them. And they understood at some level, I take it there was some enlightenment from the Holy Spirit. There must have been some knowledge of the scriptures as they grew up, they understood. And they recognized that a Savior was being born, and that's what they wanted to talk about. People who've had an encounter with Jesus ought to talk about it. And it occurs to me that our silence, that at some level, for people who say they've seen Jesus, speaking spiritually, metaphorically, for people who say they've intersected their life with Jesus, who don't talk about it, it must be some kind of a gauge that they are unimpressed with Jesus. Because when you have had your life impacted by Christ and you've seen Jesus, you talk about it. Let me reinforce this with a a parallel passage. This is the Acts 4 passage I was referencing early. This is earlier. This is a great passage. It actually kind of starts back in chapter 2 and 3. This is shortly after our Lord Jesus ascends into heaven. This is Acts chapter 4, where I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. And Peter... And John, if you read back in chapter 3, we're going up to the temple to pray, and they encounter this lame man, and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that they received at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were endowed with a special apostolic power to minister effectively in the name of Christ. It's even why they spoke in tongues. You've heard of tongue speaking? This is the part of the Bible where the one of the key passages is about that. They were in Jerusalem. This is the socio-economic, political, geocenter of the world at that day in Jerusalem. And there's people that even listed, if you go back and look, people from all of these nations and islands are gathered there at, at the day of Pentecost where the feast was taking place and everybody was there and everybody was in town and the, the, uh, the disciples and the apostles started to preach and all of a sudden they start breaking out in languages that they never learned before because all these people from all of these different nations couldn't understand what they were speaking in Greek. And so there's all of a sudden the ability of the Holy Spirit and power comes upon them and the preaching of the word in just a few hours spreads literally around the globe embedded in the hearts and minds of people who hear the preaching and through the power of the Holy Spirit go back home and the gospel begins to spread around the world. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. Churches are being planted and the apostles at this time are manifesting great power. And Peter and John going up to the temple to pray encounter this lame man. They heal him and it really, really, really upsets. If you look at the beginning of verse 4, it upsets the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. And look what it says in verse 2. They don't, they can't stand their preaching and they're really upset that they healed this guy because they just look for things to be upset about. And they were greatly annoyed, 4-2, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees particularly, not believing in the resurrection, they hated that message. And so they shut him down. They put him in under guard and put him in a cell and here these innocent preachers of the gospel who have only done good healing this lame man become the focal point of the Sadducees, the captain of the guard and the temple priests and they want to know what are we going to do with these guys and particularly they want to know how are we going to shut them up. 
So we're going to skip ahead in the story. This is where verse 12 is. That's what I quoted just a minute ago. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by, where, by which we must be saved. Notice the must be saved. It is an exclusive gospel, but it is for all people everywhere. So the audience is not exclusive. The message is. And then verse 13, let's just read this and pick up what's happening. So the next day, they get the guys out of their cell, they bring them in, and they're going to try to figure out what to do. And I want you to see what happens. Now when they, that would be the Sadducees and the captain of the temple and so forth. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. That's a good line, isn't it? Just common, uneducated men. Ordinary guys who love the Lord Jesus. Ordinary guys who's had their lives impacted by Christ. And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see, when you've been with Jesus, it's supposed to show. Now let's read on a minute. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. Okay, so they've, they've kind of gotten the testimony out of them. They, they realized that this lame man really was healed. Everybody knows it, so they can't do a cover-up. They can't say, nah, it didn't really happen. And in verse 16, they conferred at the end of verse 15. So then they go into ex- executive session and they confer with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. This a little bit reminds you of later in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul is in, fr- in front of Festus and, and the, the king and the governor and he's bearing testimony for himself And he's preaching the resurrection to them. And he says to them, well, you know, this didn't happen in a corner somewhere. Everybody's talking about this. You know that this happened in wide open daylight. No one's trying to hide anything here. And John and Peter are not trying to hide anything. And they know they can't cover this thing up and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further, verse 17, among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Yeah, that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. We'll tell them they can't preach about Jesus anymore. That'll take care of it. Look what happens. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them. They call them back in the room and they charge them. Okay, boys, you are not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answers, well, hey, look. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, here it is. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. For all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. (laughs) Don't you kind of love that about these guys? It's like common, ordinary men, undeniable that they had been with Jesus. And then when warned, back to Luke chapter 2, and then when warned, you are not allowed to talk about Jesus. So man, you can take that up with God yourself, whether we're supposed to obey you or supposed to obey God. But as for us, we've been with Jesus and we can only talk about it. That's the way the shepherds were. 
They had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus. And when you have been with Jesus, you want to talk about it. Seeing Jesus became part of their conversation. How many of us say we've seen Jesus? We've been with Jesus. We've been to the cross. He's our Savior from our sin. He's our Lord and our Master. We fellowship with Him in devotion and and we read His Word and we want to follow after Him and we want to emulate His life. And we don't want to talk about Him? I have to say, as I said earlier, that must be some kind of a gauge about how unimpressed we are with Jesus. Because when you're impressed with Jesus, you have to talk about Him. It's interesting how quickly the writer switches at the end of the passage here, or in the middle of the passage, we have the angel's announcement. And notice the shepherds, and they went with haste, verse 16, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. We already read this. And, they, and when they saw it, they made known the saying. And all who heard it were amazed. That's the shepherds talking about it. When you've seen Jesus, you talk about it. Secondly, Mary is the one we would emulate here. Notice this little verse inserted in the story of the shepherd. Verse 19 switches over to Mary. Verse 20 comes right back to the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary had been with Jesus too. Second point this morning from our passage and then out of our models of Christmas that we would emulate is that when you've been with Jesus, you have to think about it. And no one, would you agree with me that no one was impacted more by the presence of Jesus in her life than Mary? I mean, physically, it changed her whole body. Spiritually, she had these encounters with the angel. Joseph had a dream and an encounter with Gabriel. They talked about it, so they had this great spiritual revelation. And that's, that's all they had, is they had revelation without answers. They just had so much information, and that's it. They didn't know the end of the story yet, but they acted upon it. Emotionally, she went through the, the upheaval where Joseph was considering to put her aside and put her away privately from their betrothal period. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, she had the stigma of being this unmarried pregnant woman who had been more impacted than Mary by her encounter with Jesus. And there's Mary. This is incredible. Because when you read um, her Magnificat in chapter 1, you make your way through that, you recognize that Mary had an incredible depth of spirituality about her. And she had an understanding at some level that God was doing something that only God could do. Holly played and Karen Sue played beautifully, didn't they? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would heal our sons and daughters? What did Mary think about? But she pondered, didn't she? Listen, another dynamic that is worth emulating this Christmas 
When you've been with Jesus, number one, you want to talk about it. It becomes part of your conversation. But number two, when you've been with Jesus, you've got to think about it. And it becomes part of your meditation. It begins to define your meditation. Now, there's something that's hard for Americans to do. Meditate. How do we do this? Listen, I want to encourage us to be quieter, to be still. In fact, I don't, I don't know who you identify with or who resonates with you in Luke chapter 10, but will you turn with me here and let's also reinforce this point with a parallel passage like we did with John and Peter and the shepherds. We have another Mary that we know about in our New Testament, don't we? In Luke's gospel and chapter 10, it begins with verse 38. It's a small passage, but it's very interesting. And I have such a difficult time processing this. Because I have to tell you that if there's something that I can't stand, it's when there's work to be done and people are sitting around watching. And I'm thinking all kinds of bad thoughts on the inside about you. Look at this story. Now, as they went, verse 38, on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha. We know later that these are at least to become, if they aren't already, dear friends of our Lord, staying at their home. Their brother Lazarus is who he raised from the dead. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So it's likely Mary was living at Martha's house. So there's some level of responsibility that Martha felt as the hostess. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that the tension of the Christian life? Do you know that tension? After all, what did our Lord teach himself in Matthew chapter 20? That if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, what do you have to do? Become the, say it, become the servant of all. So wouldn't you say when you first look at this story that if there's a great Christian in the story, it's Martha. She's serving. And there's work to be done. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I take it in there that she went beyond what was necessary. That's why it became distracting. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? She's tattling. Lord, do you not, she's mad on the inside. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. It's like, who's going who's gonna to get the rolls out of the oven before they get too brown? Who's going to mix the gravy, you know, to the right viscosity? You know? I don't, who's going to do it? I have to do it, Martha. Look what I'm doing, Lord. Tell her to get up and help me. But the Lord answers, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So Martha had issues, anxiety issues. You worried too much. But the Lord says one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary knew how to sit still and listen to Jesus. 
Now, don't you think if you encounter Jesus, you want to think about it, right? And when you encounter Jesus, seeing Jesus demands meditation, doesn't it? Well, if ever we have in our culture a season that um, is a vacuum of usable meditation time, I would say it's the Christmas season. I know that I'm not qualified to even comment on this by my own lifestyle. I so much more identify with a Martha in this story than I do Mary. But can I suggest three prerequisites for meditation? Three prerequisites for having an encounter with Christ so that you can think about it. The first thing you have to do, number one, is you have to slow down, don't you? You have to slow down. That also might mean to sit down. Uh, You can meditate when you're walking, when you're on a treadmill, when you're driving. But to sit still, slow down. Psalm 37, 7 says what? Be still. Be still. And know. Be still. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still and wait patiently for me. Psalm 46.10 says to be still and know that I am God. Second thing we need to do is we have to quiet down, don't we? And I suspect that a lot of the reason that we don't think about some things that we ought to think about at a meditation level, Mary incorporated this pondering in her life. She was pondering, she was meditating about Jesus. We have to slow down. Number two, we have to quiet down. We have to get rid of the noise. We live in a a noisy society, don't we? There's just noise everywhere. We direct feed it through little wires and pods into our ears, don't we? We just always have something making noise. And those electronic noises that will drive you crazy. Just noise. Television shows. And and you got to see Star Wars. I can't, I cannot overstate how much I can't wait to miss that. (laughs) It's just cell phones and television and earplugs and video games and Facebook. It's just mind clogging noise. I really don't have answers for this very well other than you got to figure it out. Dr. Swenson in his book on margin and creating more margin says, you really can do something about it. Go out in the garage and open up that gray panel door and flip the switch and shut everything off in your house. I recognize that I am like, I am like an Arab terrorist invited to a bar mitzvah or something to comment on things when it comes to this. All right. It's like, there's no one that can do anything about this in your world except you. Thirdly, we have to narrow down, don't we? We have to narrow down. We are overloaded with that which is evidently unnecessary. How did Jesus put it? He said, Mary, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But Mary, he said, has chosen the good portion, the ESV translates it. 
He said, Jesus said to Mary, but one thing is necessary. He's talking about himself. You know that? He's talking about himself. We've got to slow down. We've got to sit down. We've got to quiet down. We've got to narrow down. An overloaded schedule is no friend of meditation. On the way out, one of the guys said to me, he said, little kids are no, little kids are no friend of meditation. <laughs> he was talking about his own kids. Well, I don't know what to do about it, but I do know that Mary provides for us a wonderful model, doesn't she? She provides for us this, this picture of someone who's been with Jesus, so she wants to think about it, and she defines her time with meditation. When you've been with Jesus, you have to talk about it. It becomes part of your conversation. When you've been with Jesus, you have to think about it. It becomes part of your meditation. And finally, let's just conclude back with the shepherds. And uh, I'll leave Simeon and Anna up to you in the rest of the passage. Thirdly, when you've been with Jesus, you want to sing about it. When you've been with Jesus, you want to sing about it. We're back in Luke chapter 2 to wrap up and look what we see here. That little verse 19 that was inserted about Mary, it reverts immediately back in verse 20 to the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It doesn't really say that they sang, but it says they glorified and praised God. I don't know of a better way to glorify and praise God than by singing somehow, by music, by by the joy that comes out. And so the response of the shepherds ultimately then of being with Jesus is a response of adoration, a response of adoration. When you've been with Jesus, you want to sing about it and you respond with adoration. You'll notice in the octogenarian Simeon, this old man who Jesus is presented to at eight days in the temple, is... um, When he's with Jesus, he defines that as his salvation. And then this beautiful widow, Anna, starting with verse 36, is a beautiful picture of dedication that results from being with Jesus. I don't know what you have to do with this message. Um, I do know that... um, as I stated earlier in the message, that people who say they've been with Jesus, people who say they've been transformed by Jesus, but they never talk about Jesus or think about Jesus or sing about Jesus, I would say that the end conclusion is you really haven't been with Jesus. Because when you've been with Jesus, you've got to talk about it. And when you've been with Jesus, you've just got to keep thinking about it. And when you've been with Jesus, you ultimately begin to sing about it. See, Jesus changes your life. And I've kind of about had it with Christians who think they have Jesus, but you'd never know it from hanging around them. I've been working on my Scrooge Act. I mean, getting rid of it. I have. Um, A little bit, I've been working on it. I don't think I grumbled quite as badly I think I went up and down the steps um, 31 times 
I don't know how many times, probably seven or eight times. You know, the trappings, they're there to remind us that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. So let's talk about it, and let's think about it, and let's sing about it. Amen? I hope you'll find your way here on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock or Thursday night at 6 and 8, all the same service, for some really, if I do say so myself, some beautiful music about Jesus. And time for you to sit still in the middle of whatever you do for about an hour and just be quiet. I hope we can help you do that. And I hope that on your own that you'll worship Jesus this Christmas.